Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about you. And I like to do this periodically, more often than not, because I think that sometimes we focus so much on our kids that we forget something really important, and that it's our own mental health. I think that sometimes we all need reminders, and it's good to have an episode once in a while about our own mental health, and not why, you know, a cheesy kind of PSA on, hey, don't forget to put the oxygen mask on yourself. But like for real, why is that important? And how is that actually going to help your kids? Because it will. So we're going to dive into that today. Before I get started, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, convenient therapy available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. Okay, so let's talk about your own mental health. And speaking of which, NoCD does adults as well as teens and children. So maybe you check them out for yourself as well. You can get a NoCD therapist for you and a NoCD therapist for your child. That would be really helpful for a lot of you who are struggling with your own anxiety or OCD issues. And today I'm going to be talking about your own mental health in general terms. And so for some of you, that might mean, you know, clinical intervention, even if you don't have a disorder per se. And for others, it might just mean how to maintain your mental health. And so I think sometimes we get trapped into the idea that says, I'm not having, I don't, my mental health, what are you talking about? I, I'm fine. I'm working on helping my kids. But even just raising a child with anxiety or OCD can be mentally exhausting. And so you need your own support. So let's just briefly talk about why it's important. I think it's obvious, but sometimes I think we don't maybe connect the dots. And the first thing is, you know, if you're operating from an empty gas tank, when your child is having an issue, it's going to be very hard for you to show up in the ways that I talk about in all my other episodes. It's going to be very hard for you to show up with intention, detachment, loving detachment. Have a whole episode on that. By the way, if you ever want to find out, if I, if I shout out an episode, you can always go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com. And I have a search button all the way at the bottom, scroll down and type in the keyword that I'm talking about. In this case, it would be detach and you'll find the episodes I'm talking about. That's probably easier than looking on iTunes or Google Play where I don't think there's a search button, but detaching in a loving way and having a plan, a proactive plan isn't going to be easy if you are already so overwhelmed yourself. And I think back to when my husband died last February, so almost a year and a half ago, you know, it was so sudden and so overwhelming. And I was in my own shock and grief. And you don't even realize how not well you are when you're not well, right? Does that make any sense? And my youngest daughter was the only one that was really outwardly expressive about her grief, like where she would sob and cry every night. 
And I remember being so physically and emotionally exhausted and numb and in shock for weeks and weeks and months and months afterwards that when she would cry and crumble, and I knew what she needed, she needed me to literally hold her. She was nine at the time, literally, you know, like in fetal position, hold her and rock her or tell her we're going to still be okay. I remember like having physical pain because I was so tapped out that when she would start to cry, I would have almost like this knee jerk reaction of like anger because I was so exhausted. I just couldn't dig deep enough to to show up for her, which is all understandable, obviously. And hopefully most of you aren't dealing with something to that level, but it does remind me in a very strong sort of way how if we don't take care of ourselves, we we really can't be there for our kids. There was nothing in my tank. I was like a beyond zero. And but I wanted to be there for her. And so I was a shell of a human holding her, who was a shell of a human. And it's all I could do is just barely physically be there. And it took everything in my energy to even get the power to say, or the energy to say, you know, come here, sit in my lap, because I was such a zombie myself. Now that's an extreme example, but I think it still goes for the smaller issues that we have that aren't life and death, but still are very big. And so when your child's having a panic attack or they're having a struggle going somewhere or touching something or showing up somewhere, whatever it might be for your child, if you have a full plate of exhaustion, whether that is because of your own disorders or because of your own relationship struggles, you're not going to be able to show up. And it's going to take a lot of energy to show up in an intentional way anyway. And so getting your own help is important. The other thing is like we model positive mental health for our kids when we take care of ourselves. And so not only does it help you show up fully, but it's a beautiful thing to model. I have a therapy session, you know, I'm going to take care of myself or I'm doing a challenge today and I'm doing something that might be a little difficult for me, or I'm going for a walk because that's how I clear my head, you know, so showing modeling one going to therapy is okay. If that's the avenue you're going or, or, and, or these are the coping skills I'm using, or I need to take a break right now and regroup myself so that I can show up and help you in a better way. That also shows self-care. A lot of times we talk about self-care and we think that means, you know, bubble baths and massages, which I do love, but not so much the bubble bath. I don't know why not so much bubble baths, but massages for sure. But the things that are more powerful on a day-to-day basis are things like, I can't talk to you right now because I need to take about an hour for myself and I will show back up and I'll be able to really focus on you once I have that break. Now, I know some kids are not good about giving us those breaks, but setting those boundaries and putting yourself first sometimes is modeling to your child that they should do that as well. And sometimes I think as parents, we think to be selfless and to put ourselves last is honorable and is maternal or paternal, and it's the way that we should be. And I mean, obviously any extreme in either direction isn't helpful. And when we put ourselves last, we teach our kids sometimes the role modeling that that's what you should do. And they're going to grow up and they might do the exact same thing. I'm going to put everyone first. 
And, you know, and then my needs come last and I don't want my kids to get into relationships where they put their needs last or to get into a family dynamic where everybody in the family has to be taken care of before they're allowed to take care of themselves. And we do this as moms, right? You know, everyone has to eat and we're cutting food and we're, you know, making sure everyone is liking the meal. And then maybe we are standing up in the kitchen eating, you know, or we get our plate last and then we sit down and everyone's already getting up from the, from the dinner table. That's not really okay. You know, I don't think that really shows that you value yourself. Now you can swing in the opposite direction and you might want to look at, you know, a little, you know, some people in the mental health world call ghosts in the nursery, which is what happened with you as a child and what things are you bringing to your parental table because of your own past. And I know for myself, and you want to look at this for you, my mom was very self-absorbed and her needs always came first to the point where money was very tight and she would have steak and we would all have like spaghetti or she would go out to eat with her friends and we would try to have to like scavenge our cabinet and try to find something to eat. Or, you know, we couldn't pay the rent or we couldn't, you know, pay for gas, but she would go and get massages every week. Sometimes she'd forget to pick me up because she was busy with her own things and she forgot that she needed to pick me up from school or from the YMCA that I had to walk to. And so as I became a parent myself, for me, because she modeled so much selfishness, you know, the other extreme, that I swung to the opposite end. And I always felt in all my relationships and with everybody I interacted with that I wanted to be as selfless as possible. And that wasn't good either. You know, I was just the antithesis of what she was, but in the other extreme where it wasn't important for me. I'd make sure that everyone got their needs met. And I never thought about what could I do to help myself. So finding that middle sweet spot is important and taking care of your mental health, right? Because this episode is about mental health is so important. So how often do you check in with yourself? How often do you say, I'm doing the best I can, or what things am I struggling with? Or What stories am I telling myself about my child's anxiety or OCD? So there's there's two branches of your own mental health that I want you to think about. There's your own mental health issues that are independent from your child. They play into your child's issues because when you're tapped out, they will bleed into your child's issues. But think about your own anxiety, OCD, depression, PTSD, whatever it is for you, disorders that you might be struggling with, even if they're undiagnosed. So think about those things. Then think about your own stress level. So maybe you don't have a diagnosis. And a lot of us weren't diagnosed as kids, by the way, because it just wasn't something that people were doing. And so you might see a lot more people with anxiety or OCD or depression diagnoses. And so, you know, there's a lot of like, why are so many people having mental health issues? And I think there is an increase because of societal issues. But I also think that it just wasn't recognized. I was never diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. I was just thinking about this the other day because my 10-year-old is having a lot of problems, you know, and her anxiety has been increasing lately. I was thinking, trying to think what made me think this. I was like, oh, wow, she has, you know, a lot more anxiety than I did at that age. And, you know, that was my own anxiety about her her anxiety. We're going to talk about that branch in a second. That is the second branch. It's kind of our interaction and our stories around our child's anxiety or OCD. 
but we're still in the other branch of your own mental health. And, and I thought, well, is she worse than what I was? And I started to think about it. And I was like, I threw up every single time I had to do something that I was nervous about. So I threw up the first day, maybe the first week of school, I would throw up before I had to do any presentations. I would get like shaky and have an anxiety attack before birthday parties or activities. Like I remember my mom put me in gymnastics and I remember not wanting to get out of the car. And so I thought, that's actually really bad. And I remember at night, most nights staying up until for hours and hours with my blanket up to my neck, because I thought for some reason, I know some people also have this thought. I thought like, you know, you couldn't shoot me or stab me if my blanket was covering me. There was just some like weird protective. I still have that to this day. I feel more, it could be 90 degrees where I'm sleeping, like I'm camping out and I still need to have a blanket on me for security. And it started as a child where I felt unsafe and needed to have that blanket up to my neck. And I would stay really, really still in case the robber, who was definitely in my house, according to my brain, if they opened my door, they would think that I'm sleeping and they wouldn't bother me. And I would stay like that for hours before eventually falling asleep from exhaustion every night. But the thing was, I never told my parents because they had their own issues. They had their own mental health issues. And it just didn't even phase me. It didn't even like cross my mind that that was a problem and that I should actually share it and get some help because I don't think I would have gotten the help I needed anyway. So having said that, long story short, I'm sorry, is even if you weren't diagnosed, but you're like diving into your child's anxiety or OCD and you're like, wow, I have a lot of the same stuff or I've done a lot of the same stuff, but I was never diagnosed. So I don't think I have that issue or, well, that was a long time ago. So it's not a big deal anymore. It is a big deal. And Life doesn't end until you die. It's never too late to get help and to grow. I think sometimes we have this mentality as adults that it's like done. You know, my childhood was rough. I didn't get the help I needed and I am what I am. And so it is, you know, like it's too late. I'm 49 years old. It's too late. I'm 39 years old. It's too late. I'm 60 years old. It's too late. It's never too late because life has many, many chapters and you want those chapters to be as as great as they could be and mental health can ruin that for you. So, and I think it's hypocritical to be honest when we want and expect our kids to show up to squash their anxiety or OCD and we're not willing or able to show up for our own struggles. And that comes through. Our kids will notice that if we're being hypocritical. And so, that's another reason to really work on that branch of your own mental health. It will boost your child by you working on yourself and you'll be able to show up for their issues. Now, the second branch of this, two branches in this analogy, is your own you know, response to your child's anxiety or OCD. And that, and you can have both branches. I have both branches. I have many, many branches, but that's another issue. You know, a lot of us, most of us are grieving for what we thought would be. And it's it's not one and done with that either. It's not like, okay, my child has anxiety or OCD, and then I'm grieving that. I do have a podcast. I have a couple of podcasts on grieving the diagnosis. Use the keyword grief or grieving, and I think that that will show up on my website. But that isn't just a one-time thing. 
Your child might, you might grieve initially when they get diagnosed or when you know that they're having an issue and then they get better and then they get worse again. And then you're grieving again because you're thinking, oh my gosh, when will this end? Maybe this is a lifelong sentence. And I did do a whole episode, I think last week on dealing with the bumps of your child's anxiety or OCD. You know, when it comes back again, how do you handle that? Because there's a secondary grief that happens. And if you're dealing with that, it's okay to go see someone separate from your child's anxiety or OCD therapist to help you navigate the emotions, the stress, and the grief of raising a child with anxiety or OCD. So there's nothing wrong with getting your own support. And I think a lot of times we just don't do that. And maybe it's hard financially right now, you know, the economy's really out of whack. Or maybe it's hard because you don't feel like you have time for that. Although I would say you need to prioritize that. But some people like really, they're working two jobs. They have three kids. Like there really is no time. So it kind of annoys me when people say, you know, you have to prioritize because I know for some people, like you look at their schedule and it's just exhausting to even look at. You know, they're working seven days a week, two jobs, you know, three kids. Like, yeah, where where are they going to fit in a therapy session? you know, at midnight. But for a lot of us, that's not the case. We are really gifted and and fortunate to have some wiggle room, you know? And so maybe, you know, you do an evening session through Zoom or you do a Saturday, you know, there is space. And if we are saying that there isn't because we don't want to do it, you know, then we're our own barrier. But separate from therapy, you can work on your own mental health at home. And a lot of it is really just awareness. I am noticing just by being observant and being almost like an observer of my emotions, my actions, my feelings. When I'm noticing when I'm getting more stressed, I'm noticing what the stress is about. I'm noticing my reactions. And when you try to practice like mindful living, which I know kind of can sound cheesy if you're not into it, there is just this being in the moment 100% or 95%. And when you're in the moment, 95%, you notice so much more. You notice what emotions are coming up. You notice what thoughts and feelings are coming up. You notice how your child's responding. And so working on your own mental health can just start with an awareness of noticing. You know, my child, you know, said they were feeling anxious about going to, you know, their friend's house. And I noticed that my jaw tightened. And I noticed that my stomach kind of fell and I thought, not again, you know, is she ever going to, you know, be able to go places without feeling fearful? Once you notice that, then you can work on that. And by working on that, you know, I'm, I'm a very big cognitive person too, in restructuring your thinking, what stories do we tell ourselves and how do we reframe those stories? Just because your brain spontaneously delivers a story doesn't mean you can't reauthor it. You can rewrite your stories. And a lot of times we need to. That's like reframing your thoughts. And that's what we teach our kids when they are dealing with anxiety. And so a lot of times it's bringing it back to the moment. You know, what do I have to do today? You know what? Today I'm going to help her get through this and she's going to build some skills. I'm not going to have snowball thinking or catastrophic thinking where I'm in the future because I'm I'm only here. And For those of you that have listened to me a long time, that's been kind of my mantra is you are in this moment. 
I actually got an Etsy sign custom made that's in my office that says you are in this moment to remind me that I'm only here. I'm only here. And that's all, that's the only place I want to be. And and I think practicing that awareness can be really helpful in life in general because you'll really clue into your mental health a lot more if you start to be in each moment. Because a lot of times we use avoidance to not be in each moment because we don't want to think about these things and you know our kids do that and we're not exempt from that either. So we keep our mind busy. We're like, you know, playing Candy Crush or we're on the phone or we're scrolling Instagram or then we're watching Netflix and because we don't want that gap of time where we have to think. That's avoidance. And we have to go through our thoughts just like we want our kids to. And so taking that space to really notice how you're showing up and what things are happening to you is really important. And then take care of yourself. I mean, there are times where I would forget to go to the bathroom or I get so into, I'm working on notice when you need to take a break or notice when you need to recharge yourself. I would forget to go to the bathroom. So currently I'm working on a class for kids and teens on how to crush OCD. And I'm super excited about it. And I get really immersed in it. And I forget, I forget to eat. I forget to go to the bathroom. The other day I was working on it and I had to go to the bathroom so bad, but I just didn't want to stop working on it. And that's not taking care of myself. So that's not mental health, that's physical health, but it all bleeds together. Like what things are we not allowing ourselves to do because we want to be there for our kids or for our work or or whatever it may be. So also, you know, what do you have built in for your mental health? How often do you actually check in with yourself? You know, in a weird way, I feel like I have been gifted the opportunity of silence. And it's not something I wanted, but not having a partner, I have a lot of silence in my life. Even though I have three kids, you know, at night when they all go to bed, normally that's when I would talk to my husband and We'd have our banter back and forth and we kind of talk about our day and there's silence there now. And there's silence in the morning and then they go to school and there's silence all day long, which was kind of there, but still, you know, I was texting my husband. We were like, we talked a lot. And so with all that silence has come a lot of introspection, like a lot of I think when you spend a lot of time alone, you have a lot more time to analyze things. And maybe for you, hopefully you're fortunate that you don't have that level of silence, but you have to carve out some of that time. Because I wouldn't even really know the kind of insight that I'm having if I wasn't kind of having all that time alone. Does that make sense? Do you guys ever watch? (laughs) I'm totally going to be tangential right now. Do you ever watch that show Alone? It's on Netflix and Hulu now. And when my husband died, I like dived into that. Actually, my sister told me about it. And I thought, eh, I don't know, like a wilderness show about survival. I don't know if that's really what I need right now. But the title caught me because it was called Alone. And I was really struggling with being alone. And so I started watching it and I like could not stop watching it. And I like binge watched every season. I'm caught up now. And the reason why it was captivating to me was one, it kind of helped me because I was like, these people are alone in the middle of, you know, the wilderness and they're getting by. I guess I can get by in my house because my initial worry was actually like, I wouldn't be able to 
like survive, like function. Like if, you know, something broke in my house, how would I fix it? And these people are like living in like their little shacks. And so it helped with that, but that's a side note. But the other big thing was that they were having all these epiphanies because they were alone. It was interesting to watch the mental process of them having like all these things come up for them. You know, these really tough men were like having these tearful episodes about their parent or about their spouse or about the things that they wish they could do differently or about their gratitude and appreciation for things that they didn't really show gratitude about or the choices they made. And I'm always like, why are these people having all these epiphanies? Like, don't they ever think about this stuff before? And really, depending on how busy your life is or how busy it is with your partner or just busy in general, people don't have these deep thoughts. They don't sit down and just think about what do they want from life? How are they showing up to life until they take a pause? You know, it's unfortunate that sometimes something really big has to happen, like you're put in the wilderness for hundred plus days all by yourself to survive. Or in my case, you know, your husband suddenly dies and you're left alone to like really, really have to like look at reevaluate everything and how you're showing up to life because there's no one next to you. But carve out that time for yourself to be alone because that's really when you get that depth. Even though I'm alone right now, my favorite thing to do is to still walk out into the desert. I would walk two miles a day same path every day. And I would have these epiphanies, this awareness, this insight, ideas of what I wanted to do differently, but with self-compassion, you know, not with like an iron fist of like, well, you really sucked yesterday. It was so much compassion in how I talked to myself and so much cheerleading and uplifting and uplifting conversation of like, you've got this and like, you're doing so good and not a narcissistic way, but in a way that really, it's like, I'm my own best friend. And I don't think a lot of us nurture that relationship. Some people do. Now it's like 118 out in Phoenix, Arizona. And so I can't walk out in the desert and I'm really missing that. I kind of like try to sit in the pool and get the same response or meditate, but there's nothing that compares to walking in the desert for me. So you have to find what it is for you. How do you connect with yourself to really tap in and know how you're doing with your mental health? being aware because that that mental health oozes into our physical health. It can turn into stomach issues or, you know, compromised immune systems. Well, like when you're not really really aware of how you're doing. So, I hope that this episode kind of prompts you on some level to look inward. Maybe you already do. I don't think a lot of us do it though. And because I'm on this path of growing myself in general, I have become such a better mom than I was when my husband was alive, which I know sounds horrible, but I've just reevaluated and I have a different perspective on literally everything, including how I show up for my kids and my priorities and not being like 10% listening to them while 90% of me has my to-do list in my head. I don't. It's, I mean, for the most part, when they're talking, I'm 100% listening. I turn everything off by five o'clock and me and my youngest binge watch something. You know, my life has really, really shifted. And a lot of that is because of me reevaluating and looking at things. And so even now, I find I get lost in 
whatever I'm doing, right? The current project is like this, this kids and teens OCD class, which I'm really enjoying doing. And so it's not like work, but I get overzealous. I get like obsessive and I get really into my projects and I haven't had that in a really long time, probably since my husband died. I actually thought I would never do any more classes. I have like seven or eight of them. You can check them out at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. I have a whole library. And so I was like, I'm just going to maintain what I have. I'm not building anything new. I was done. And then a new passion kind of started to brew up. And I was like, I feel like I could teach kids. Like I feel like I could teach kids and teens the way that I would teach them in my practice and make it on video so that it could supplement whatever help they're getting. I got really excited about it, but to the point where, you know, I was having a hard time stopping it at six or seven at night. And then because I'm noticing and I'm aware and I'm kind of outside of myself, I was aware that even though this is a good thing, I still need to pace myself. And so I changed the story around, you know, and I say to myself, this is going to take longer than your other things normally do because you're not going to work double time. You don't do that anymore. Everything's a balance. It's just as important for you to sit and watch Stranger Things with your daughter. <laughs> I've been watching Stranger Things for a while. Then working on this project, that is even more important. I would say equally important because it's not that work is not important to me. And I don't think that you have to, you know, play something more important than another. They could both be important to you for different reasons, you know, and your own passion, what makes you happy, even if it doesn't, you know, add to your family is just as important as showing up for your family. And so don't minimize that. But my whole point is I still struggle, even though I'm so much more aware of my mental health and aware when it's going off the cliff, which it does sometimes still. And allowing myself to sit with the sadness that comes and allowing myself to sit with the anger that comes and recognizing when I'm feeling really anxious and then taking action, not to get rid of those emotions, but to help me ride through them in a, in a positive way. That's important. And it's important for all of us to do. And there's not one human being out there who can't work on that, who doesn't need to work on that, because I think it's a work in progress. It's not like a one and done. It's not like, okay, I've reached this goal or I'm at this like beautiful level of insight and mental balance. It's a practice of being and it doesn't go away. And how big of a practice is that for you? How much of a priority is that for you? You know, you're so worried about your child's mental health and you're putting all your energy into that, but you're operating maybe on fumes or you're like completely blind to your own mental health. And the only person that we fully control and the only person that we have the most responsibility for is ourselves. You know, we're only coaches for our kids. We're only a small chapter of their journey. And I know none of us want to admit that, but we are zero to 18. That's their chapter. And then, you know, we're there as like real ancillary support. You know, they, they're going to fly. That's the hope. And our goal is just to get them the the tools and skills that they need to do that. But that's a chapter and you're going to have many, 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 many chapters that go beyond that. And so don't forget about you, even in this chapter of taking care of a child with anxiety or OCD, because you are important (laughs) as cheesy as that sounds. So I hope that you are enjoying my podcast episodes. I hope you like this one. It's a little love to you and to ourselves. 
Don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you consume your podcast. That does help to rate the show. I will leave a link in the show notes if you want to get on the wait list for my kid and teen OCD class. So for those of you that are on the wait list, you'll get notified before it comes out to the public and you will get a discounted rate. So get on the wait list for that. So you get notified and you get it at a discount. And if you leave a review, I'll be definitely reading that next time. So I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.